I think it's all over. It is now. Here is Kulisevsky. Here is Kane. He scores and silences the place. Coleman caught on it by Salah, and Salah is off and running now. Catch him if you can. Mo Salah, brilliant. In the center, Kane, goal. Welcome back, everybody, to the Wrong Foot Podcast. Joe and I back again to uh, hopefully it's not too much of a therapy session with with how our teams did this week, but discuss all of the action in the Premier League this week. Joe, how are you doing today? Against all odds, we we made it to this podcast. Uh, <laughs> I think what makes it tolerable is both our teams are utter crap, so I think it helps. Uh, but. Uh, you know, it's definitely a fun week of Premier League uh, football, especially on Saturday, yeah. I would say. Sunday, uh, you know, I could have done without a couple of those games, but uh, <laughs> specifically one. But uh, we'll get to them when we get to them. Yeah, well, uh, we'll take a look back. There were some definitely some great games, and yeah, our team's not doing well. But uh, I, I want to make sure I've, uh, I've made a promise to myself that I'm not going to make this uh, anti-Liverpool. I think uh, Brighton deserve more than that with how they play, but we will get to that game. We will kick off with, with probably the biggest game of the weekend some could argue there is other ones but man united man city the manchester derby first time in a while it's really kind of meant something in terms of league positioning and points and things like that a kind of city have been so far ahead of of united for the last few years and united haven't been close but united come out on top here 2-1 victory and i think we need to talk about the uh the market marcus rashford sized elephant in the room of whether he was onside or offside joe what were your thoughts uh on the game and on that goal uh, yeah, so I think um, I think first I want to say that I think this goal has been the talking point, and I and I always understand why. But I think the overarching takeaway I have from this game is how good United look. Yeah, um, they outplayed City. They they deserved the three points, irregardless of the the you know the goal that we're about to talk about mm-hmm. um, being declared onside, but. I think the most important takeaway from this game is, you know, Man United played at home and, and they outplayed City. And so I think obviously that takes you into a, to two different kind of paths, right? What's going right with Man United and then what's going wrong with Man City. So yeah, <laughs> I think the biggest th- – yep, go ahead. No, I was just going to say I think it was uh, – that is the big point. I think Haaland didn't look as dangerous as, as he kind of had uh, probably up till the World Cup, even coming back since the World Cup, he hasn't looked quite as dangerous. He's obviously still scored a couple of goals, but um, my my biggest thing for City is really, uh, and I'm often kind of jump on this bandwagon is is the Kevin De Bruyne. Where does he go in big games? And this was another one um, where I think he kind of let his performances dip. Uh, he didn't take it by the scruff of the neck and, and keep them involved. But yeah, I think there is more to talk about in terms of who actually deserved to win the game. We'll obviously get into the goal, but it was uh, there was more to this game than just that one. That wasn't the be-all and end-all, but go ahead. Yeah, so I think in the first half, like, it, it was as class of a team as Man City, right? With the talent they have, it's impossible to completely shut them down. There were definitely spells in the first half and then the second half when Man City had control, they had possession, they had the ball, they were doing... You know they were doing you know they were doing well right they right. were they were creating and, and, and they didn't really ever look like they were scoring to me but I, I definitely felt like they were th- th- there were definitely spells in that half where Man City were looked like 
your old man city. Right. However, <laughs> interspersed with that was Manchester United. And I think the, the great thing about Manchester United is even when Manchester City had some possession, even when they were trying to create chances, I felt like Man United were so strong at the back and they looked so tactically sufficient. It was it, it was incredible. Mm-hmm. Like we've seen Man United, you know, under you know, Ali 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 Gunnar Solskjaer say that three times fast. <laughs> and um Ralph Ragnick, they they just struggled, right? They they didn't their defense was terrible. Right. And they were trying like high pressing and just wasn't working. This was just clinical from from um Eric the Red, right? Yeah. <laughs> Eric Don Hawk was just it looked like they were properly drilled. They were always in the right spot. I think Casemiro a signing that I didn't really, really get at the time because he's older, right? Like, I, I felt like Man United, especially in the first year of Ten Hag, were kind of trying to create a new wave and start from the beginning. So why would you add someone, you know, who's older in Casemiro? But Casemiro is class player. Yeah. I think his defensive capabilities have have been so, so important to Manchester United and are such a reason why the Ten Hag tactics work so well. And I think Man- Manchester City had a really difficult time breaking them down. Even the goal that that Greeler scored on the header from De Bruyne, it was you know Man City were kind of in the ascendancy there, but it still was kind of a not I don't want to say a fluke, but it wasn't a traditional City goal. Right. And I think you have to credit United, you know, his defense highly, highly. Yeah, and Casemiro, like you say, I think has been a great addition, and he's given. And I think I text this to the group chat that we're in. Like, I can't believe he's not booked at least 10 times every game with some of these challenges. But I think that's what Man United needed. It's like, it's a bit of character in midfield. You know, you look at when Man United are their best through the 90s, some of the midfielders they had, like Paul Ince, Roy Keane, obviously, like just, just a hard-hitting midfielder just to, you know, say, yeah, we can play good football, but we're also here. We mean business. And, and Casemiro seems to give them that in, in the center of midfield. And I think, you know, some of these superstars on the city side don't like when it gets physical. We've seen that over the last week or so in, in some of the games that they've lost. This is, uh, you know, third on the bounce. And it's just like with the cup game but it's like yeah it, it just seems like they were able to disrupt and like you say there was never that kind of feeling of oh this is a typical city game where they just have the ball for 10 15 minutes at a time it feels like without even really going out of play and just like wave after wave and the inevitability of a goal coming like i don't think man united ever allowed them to do that and that's credit to them it wasn't just city maybe playing bad it was man united just didn't let them play in, in that first half, it was United that squandered the bigger opportunities, right? Right. Rashford had two great opportunities to score and, and yeah. couldn't finish either one. And um, I think that's not how we expected it, right? We, we expected Man City to be the team that was not finishing their opportunities. And then obviously in the second half, Man City scored the goal. And I think now we have to talk about it, right? United <laughs> down one nothing, The ball comes in. Uh, Rashford is clearly offsides. But as he's, you know, at the same time, Fernandez is making a run onside. Right. And both city defenders, Akanji and I think Kyle Walker maybe, were both trailing the players. And you could tell Ederson, the goalie, kind of react. He didn't know, like, what was going on. Everyone thought it was offside. But smartly by Rashford, he never touches the ball. Fernandez almost looks like he takes it right off his feet yeah. and, you know, finishes. finishes. So what, what are your thoughts about this? I think, I think I think it's offside. I, I really do. Um, I think 
Rashford, it's not like the balls play through to Rashford. And like we see it quite often when this happens and the player will literally stand still, let it roll past them, and then someone else will run onto it. And I think that's a lot different to what happened here because Rashford continues his run, literally like you say, to the to the point where it looks like he's about to shoot and Fernandez just takes it off his literally off his toe. So it's like he he's he's making an effort, he's impacting the play. Um I've watched all the different replays where they show how like you say, Edison kind of is reacting to as if Rashford's going to take the shot. So that's that's a direct impact, right? The, the defenders are reacting to both of them being there. Um, but I guess by the letter of the law, until he touches that ball, can you determine whether he's impacting it or not? Um, it, it's a mess, but I, I think it's offside. How about you? Right. So I think this is a classic rule versus <laughs> interpretation, right? right? And I think letter... You know, I listened to multiple, you know, refereeing specialists, you know, Christina Uncle from Paramount. Right. Uh, I think uh, Clattenburg, I listened to his, like, analysis of it. And they all basically seem to be in agreement that it was the correct call. Right. So <laughs> it was the correct call. But the funny thing is, if you listen to any former player, especially defender, every single body, every single one of them, to, to a man, said <laughs> it should be offside. Yeah. So what, what happened here, right? This is a classic example of <laughs> officiating and what should actually happen, right? So obviously the impetus behind this rule is to create more goals, right? We want more goals. If you don't touch the ball, you're not going to be offside unless you're directly impacting the physically, I think is the word that they use precisely, unless you're physically impacting the play. So, you know, if if you're a defender and you're offside and you're blocking the goalie, you know, and the ball goes in that, you know, they'll consider that. In this instance, I think the, the issue is, it isn't just mentally, but I do think physically that, Rashford affects the play because I think Akanji could make a tackle. He could, he's going to go in harder on uh, Fernandez, I think, if he thinks that, you know, it's not offside, right? right. So I think Fernandez being there, I, I mean, Rashford being there does affect him. And that doesn't even get into Ederson, who, you know, if it's a one on one and he's only worried about Fernandez coming in, he's probably going to come out of the goal more and try to cut down the angle. Yeah. But in this instance, because he thinks it's like a two on two on one, two on two, two on zero type situation, the smarter play is to stay back and, and, and try to, you know, buy time so your defenders can get back in and make the tackle, right? So I think this is just a classic situation where the rule states that it's not offsides, but if you look at the interpretation and what we all feel as football fans, that should be offsides because whether even though he technically doesn't touch anybody, well, and what like, Rashford is doing is completely affecting the play. Yeah, and I think it's Ake that's just behind him, like, tailing okay. the ball. And it's like... Yeah, he doesn't get in his way, but like he's still running in front of him, and Aki's not going to bring him down because he's going to get sent off. Like, if if you literally remove Rashford from, like, make his body disappear, maybe he has a better shout shout at making a challenge on the ball. Like, it, there's just so much, and it's like, I like to, whenever there's these kind of was it offside, wasn't it offside? I always like to look at the reverse and say, well, if it wasn't, if it was given offside and the goal was disallowed, like do you think people would be annoyed? And I think in this case, a lot less people are annoyed if that goal is disallowed and it's offside. And even Man United, I think they probably would have had a bit of a whine, but they've been like, yeah, fair enough. Rashford's running towards the ball. Like, I, I, I don't think there's as much of a case on the flip side. And that's why to me, it's like, like you say, it, it, yes, it's by the, by the letter, every single letter of the law, he has not broken it. But you know, you, you got to give the sub- subjectivity here and you have to look at that. Um, and it, and it mm-hmm. completely shifted the game at that point. Yep. 
Uh, yeah, so just final thoughts for me on the game specifically. I think uh, two other players I kind of want to give a shout-out to here. I thought Luke Shaw was very good in central defense again. Yeah. Um, Christian Eriksen, you know, setting up the goals. Mar- Marcus Ratchford was the best player on the pitch for United um, in in the attacking third. He created, obviously, he finished the final goal that won them the game. But, you know, those two opportunities we talked about previously in the first half. You know, I have to give credit to Fred. You know, I'm very <laughs> – I'm not the biggest fan of Fred, the player. But I think his job was basically just to follow Holland wherever he went. And I thought he did a bang-up job. He really kind of took him out of the game. And I think, you know, Fred did his job. Yeah. And – I have to give him credit, and, you know, he's not a flashy player. He's, I don't rate him too highly, but you know what? He had a job out there, and he did it. Yeah, I, I was a bit annoyed because I texted you before the game that Fred was playing, and I was hoping to be able to keep sending you more texts about funny things or bad things he did, and then, like, he was just good. Like, he just did what he yeah. needed to do. And I, think, and I think all the team, like like I say, I think Haaland, um, you know, Luke Shaw moving to centre-back, and you think, well, he's playing against probably the best if like if you don't say he's the best one of the best strikers in the world in Haaland and Luke Shaw moving across the center back and like you wouldn't even know like he played very well and uh, it's a testament to the the squad that they've got and and the way that this team's playing right now mm-hmm. so going forward let's let's look at both of these clubs going forward i think you know what we just talked about with Fred what we've talked about with Casemiro what we've talked about with Rashford is it, what I think this squad isn't complete, very much different than United squad last year besides you know obviously Casemiro which was a huge addition but I think the biggest thing with this United team is Ten Hag is putting these players in the best position to succeed and he's using the most of his his talent you know yeah. Fred has a role right and he used him brilliantly in this game Fred should not be attacking when you're down a goal Fred should not be on um, but this is a situation where Ten Hag had a role strictly assigned for Fred, and he did the job perfectly. So I think United, right, I think the big question for United going forward is, do you think they're in the title race? I do. I think the way they're playing right now, um, you know, before this game, I would have said, is it a bit of smoke and mirrors, just knowing how United have been in their last few years? But this game, I think, was a real statement. Um, Like I say, I think they made City look bad more than City playing bad, um, which I think is huge. And I think... um, the hard thing is, is Arsenal seem to keep winning and distancing themselves more and more. Um, but, you know, they've got fixtures against both Manchester teams coming up, uh, which, you know, a couple of losses there and, it, and it's right back on again. Um, but I think I think the way Man United are playing, they, they are one of the best teams in the league right now. Um, and I can see them going on, continuing this winning stretch. And I think it's like that was either seven or eight in a row now in all competitions that they've won, uh, which is a long time. Um, don't know exactly the stat, but like, it's a long time since Man United have been this consistent and playing this well. Um, so I would definitely, if I was Arsenal and I'm looking over my shoulder, I think Man United are one of the teams, especially after this weekend, um, and we'll get on to Newcastle a bit, but I think United are the team you're looking at. And just on that, um, and we look at the, the other side in City and Pep's comments, I think it was right after the game or you know in, in the recent days, saying basically we've won enough Carabao Cups, we've won enough league titles. Uh, you know, we don't need to worry about that. AKA, we've given up on the title race, and this is kind of Champions League or bust this year. How much do you uh, you read into those kind of comments and City and United and and the title race? Yes, I think it's being a bit um, <laughs> overdramatic <laughs> with those comments. I think he obviously. Look, the, the goal of Man City is obviously to win the Champions League, right? That's the big trophy that they haven't been able to obtain. I think, especially with their, you know, foreign owners, that's what I think Champions of Europe 
is sounds a lot better than just champions of England, right? Yeah. And they've kind of done there, done that, been there, done that in England. So that's obviously their goal. But I just, I, you know, they're not going to give up on the title race. There's just no way. Um, <clears throat> they're too good of a team. They have too much talent. I do think, <laughs> I think what you know Pep is kind of speaking to a little bit in his comments though is just kind of just like when he always went. There's just there's just a little bit of. Uh, lethargy that right. starts to get into your performances where's the motivation coming from where's the drive and we see this so much in football especially when you when you're not in front of your home crowd it can be hard to get up right that cold week weekday game at stoke right when the wind is whipping it's it's <laughs> difficult to get up for those games and um i understand that but the problem with this game was this is a game you should get up for you know this is a right. game that everything's on the line you should have no problem this is a way at man united and this is a game that you need to win and you know, they were up one nothing in the 70th minute, even though they were getting outplayed. You thought, oh, are they going to sneak this out? And they didn't. So, you know, I, I, previously to this game, I, I really thought Man City should have been the favorite for the Premier League. But I think at this point, Arsenal should be the favorites. And I think if you're a Man City fan, you have to be very concerned because I don't think this is a situation where they can just switch, you know, put on a, you know, flip a switch and, and yeah. be good. I think they're going to have to grind. And I don't, I don't know if, the players with the, all the success they've had especially with you know still being alive in the champions league i don't know if they're going to dig deep enough to to rally back and you know take the league title yeah and I, really it's a win-win comment from pep right like if they continue on this kind of inconsistent form you know they finish second or third or fourth it, like this comment you, you can look back and say like yeah this is when we gave up and we concentrated on the champions league and if they get to the semi-final or the final you can say like look that's what, what our goal was or the opposite happens and they're well back in the title race and they push it to the wire right so like i think it's it's classic pep a little bit of his mind games and you know his job right now is to put the pressure on arsenal because they're the ones that have to slip up at this point right like it's not it's out of his yep. hands he needs them to be making mistakes so why not put the pressure on um and i was reading somewhere as well that even if he starts playing his second string team, you know, for the rest of the season in the Premier League, that's probably still a top four team, right? Like we've talked about their depth. It's like, you know, he's not going to suddenly be running out players you've never heard of. He's still going to be running out Jack Grealish or, you know, whoever else that's you know, the million dollar men on, on the benches. So I don't think it's all kind of doom and gloom. What are your thoughts? And I know you, you asked me this question, but what are your thoughts on United and, and where they stand with their title shots? Uh, yeah, I, I don't, I think they're still a year away. Um, I don't believe enough in Martial or Anthony to score consistently. I don't, I don't, you know, I love Val Weghorst, but I don't, I mean, I think he adds <laughs> something, but I don't think he's quite enough. And I think, you know, it's so dependent on Rashford going forward. So I think it's a team that's obviously headed in the right direction. I like the foundation that they're building and I think they're going to be in top four. I just, I don't see them if they were up eight points in Arsenal. Yeah, I think they could obviously win the league, but I think coming from that far behind, it would really take a collapse. I think from Arsenal to to you know put them back in. And the one thing I want to mention on Man City, they're eight points down, and obviously it's out of the grass, but they still play Arsenal twice. Mm -hmm. So you know if you win both games, you're two points out. If you win at home and draw at Arsenal at the Emirates, you're down four points. So yeah. you're very much in it if you get the right results in those two massive games against Arsenal. So it's an eight-point gap, but typically at the halfway point, you've at least played once. There's still two big matchups between those two sides. So, you know, I think there's still plenty of time for, for Man City to get back in it if they get back to their old way of playing. For sure. And that will take us on to, to look at the team at the top uh, in, in the driver's seat right now. Uh, Joe, I'll let you kind of take the lead on the North London derby. Uh, the only thing I'll kind of 
intro it by saying uh, is that Arsenal looked really good, Spurs not so much. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think, uh, you know, I think you'll probably have a lot to say about Hugo Lloris, but I actually think he played well. I think he stopped that game from being maybe, you know, a lot worse than 2-0. Um, and I think his obviously his mistake, which we'll get into, will maybe overshadow that. But I want to give him a little bit of credit that he, he didn't, it wasn't all doom and gloom from him. And then finally that Richardson is just a prick. And like he needs to get out of the Premier League, but we can get onto that. What are your thoughts uh, of this fun Sunday morning for you? We're going to save Tottenham to the end, maybe a couple minutes. I think I've said everything in the previous podcast, and <laughs> I think my my emotions and my feelings are the same. Although that Hugo Lloris comment you made just is insane, so I guess we'll have to touch on that. But <laughs> <laughs> let's focus on Arsenal. This this is I think if you're an Arsenal fan, this is the dream, right? This is this is everything coming together, right? And it's even more than that because Man City seems to be having a bit of a dodger, right? Yeah. They're kind of, and you're flying, right? And, you know, Arsenal had not won at Tottenham at the new stadium, but they hadn't won period since 2014, right? Yeah. So it's been eight years since they won away to Tottenham. And they did that today. Uh, they did that on Sunday, and they did it quite easily, right? Yeah. And... I think the the most impressive thing from this Arsenal side is the football they play and how good they are, right? And they were in total control of this game, both defensively and on the attack. I <laughs> there's so many players to call out, and I think the scary thing, especially from you know a Tottenham perspective, and I think I think most teams in the league should be a little scary, is I think Arsenal have so many cornerstone players on this team. And, you know, when I look at Zinchenko, I think he's class. Saliba, maybe he's not this good, but he's been fantastic. Obviously, Ramsdale and Nett, uh, you know, I don't particularly care for him, but <laughs> he's been great. He made some huge saves. Odegaard is such a class player. Yeah. Thomas Partey, I want to give Partey a credit. I think he is, the right now, even at his age, right, I think Thomas Partey is the best defensive midfielder in the Premier League, right? He's, you know... He's dealt with injuries. Obviously, he's basically the same same age as Casemiro. But I just, I think he's he's been so class. And I think so many of the things that Arsenal have done in the attacking sense have been allowed to happen because Thomas Petrie is there. Yeah, Thomas Partey is there. Sorry. And I, you know, obviously, he had the goal. Uh, he almost scored. He had the screamer off the crossbar, yeah. which was just a fantastic strike that didn't go in. But. Um, I just wanted to point him out because I thought he was the best player on the pitch. And that now this isn't even getting to Saka, who I think is obviously, you know, England international starting every game for England. He, he's so good as well. Uh, and Ketia, right? This is the backup. This is Gabriel Jesus's team. And Nketiah is coming in and it's like there's no difference, right? They keep flying. And, you know, Martinelli, I think, is maybe a little bit weaker, but he's still been good, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I think, you know, the issue with this Arsenal team is, you know, their depth. But I think this front 11 is so good. Um, I, I just – this, you know, this is and – I, and I think the important thing with Arsenal to point out is this is a team that's stuck with their manager, right? Yeah. Arteta's on his third year. If this is Chelsea, if this is, you know, Watford, you know, th this manager – is not making it through. No. You know, they had the obviously they had the awful collapse last year, including losing away to Tottenham three nil that cost them the Champions League spot. A lot of owners and stupid loudmouth Piers Morgan wanted them to sack <laughs> sack Arteta. You know, this isn't he's not the answer. And now you see what happened, right? You give a manager time, you give him you know, the recruitment has been fantastic. I mean you look at the squad, this is this is I mean, almost every player they've brought in 
has made a huge difference. And obviously we can get into their escapades with Chelsea this weekend on the transfer front. But this is a team that I think has done it such the right way. And I'm so jealous of this as a Tottenham fan because they're do they did their rebuild correctly, right? Yeah. <laughs> they didn't they didn't even make the Europa Conference League, right, a couple of years ago. Because they were so bad. Yeah. But it was fine because they were building something, right? And I think as a Tottenham fan, this is the only way Tottenham is ever going to to, to challenge for a title. Is if they they rebuild and they slowly build up to the crescendo and they take a couple years that are going to be tough and they continue to build and they, you know, find young players and they, they invest in younger players that, you know, maybe one day they, they have to sell on. But just players that can be a part of the mix for a long time. And I think what we've seen from Tottenham, and I think it's clearly seen in these two squads, it's just like a lot of try to quick fix, right? All right, here's Rich Allison for 60 million pounds. Right. Oh, here's, um, you know, Longlet as a as a loan. Here's 34-year-old um, Perisic. Here's Hoybier. Here's, you know, Matt Darty. We'll get into Matt Darty at a later time. <laughs> but the same thought hasn't been, been put into this Tottenham squad as it has with Arsenal. And I think Arsenal, it's really just, it's a beautiful painting, right? Yeah. From where they started three years ago, not even making the Europa Conference League, finishing eighth in the table to where they are now. Um, I think this has been a little accelerated by a year or two, but this this is what happens when you have a clear system, you have a manager who implemented it well, and you have transfer signings that are young and that, they, they just hit out of the park. I mean, you know, look at all these players that they brought in. Sinchenko, uh, you know, Ramsdale, Ben White, Odegaard. These these are cl- – Partey, obviously. These are class players that they brought in. Uh, Gabriel Jesus obviously wasn't in this game. This is how you build a football team if you're anyone outside of, like, Man City and Chelsea who have, like, exorbitant funds, right? When you're Arsenal, when you're Tottenham, when you're, you know, to a lesser extent, um, a Liverpool, this is what – you have to do if you want to be successful. Yeah, and I think uh, like we spoke a bit uh, a few pods ago around the the Jesus injury and kind of the concern that would leave for, leave for Arsenal and like they've just got better and better since that has happened and obviously like he's a he's a great piece to to eventually welcome back and but you know the goals haven't dried up the way they're playing hasn't changed um, they just look a threat you know if you look back in recent weeks since we've we've been doing this podcast the only real time they had any issues was the Newcastle game when you know Newcastle just did a good job of throwing them off their style and off their game but I don't think they ever looked like losing that game like if anything they were going to still be the winners and it's like where does this team like they now sit eight points clear of City I think it's nine points clear of Newcastle but Newcastle played an extra game like where do they drop these points like you say you point to, to the games against Man, against Man City I think those are key fixtures um but, you know really all they need to do is draw both of those games and they'll stay enough ahead of City <laughs> like and you know that's that's not a big ass the way that City are playing right now and the way Arsenal are playing it's not like we are talking about a team of you know how on earth have they got up here and we've seen this in the past you know um over the years when when a team has gone on a good run but it's kind of like you're just waiting for the wheels to fall off but like there's no signs of this happening and there's no reason why it should like you say with the, with the team they've got the pieces they put together there's no reason why they should should change and they've trusted the process um which yep. you know we've we kind of have been critics of Chelsea of late and they're a team that definitely don't trust process <laughs> over instant re- gratification and results um whereas like you say Arsenal have trusted the process and, and now they're getting the fruits of their labor but you mentioned that you uh you took exception to my comment about Hugo Lloris uh 
I, I think he played well. Like, like the, the mistake is inexcusable. <laughs> like, sort of the first goal, uh, it was driven in hard against him. And, you know, he's just got to put it anywhere apart from where he puts it, which is in the back of his own net. Um, that, yeah, I get it. But th- there were some key saves that he made, um, which, you know, the, he made a save against Odegaard, which was basically a carbon copy of the goal then Odegaard then scored. Um, just kind of took it a bit further away for, from Lloris for the actual goal. But, you know, that was a cracking save. And there was a couple in the second half as well that made this stay somewhat respectable. But you seem to uh, have different opinions on, on Hugo. Oh, um. One thing I just want to say before we get, uh, you know, Arsenal, they, they weathered the Unai Emery years. So it's not like the rebuild was a straight shot <laughs> after the way Arsene Wenger left, but they stuck to it. They finally found the right manager, and you're seeing them with the fruits of their labor. And Arsenal have the money to re-sign soccer. They have the money to re-sign these guys and pay them top wages. So I think this could be a long-term successful team. <sighs> Getting to Hugo Lloris. <laughs> I just – he's – He's he's been a great captain for the team. He's been a stalwart for, for you know, basically almost all my Tottenham fandom. Right? Yeah. He's been you know he replaced I think maybe it was Brad Friedel maybe at the time. I don't even I could be missing a goalie there, but he has been great. He is no longer great. <laughs> uh, he and it's it's been kind of apparent the last two to three years, but obviously I think it's been worse than ever this year. He just makes too many bad errors. He and what hasn't even been mentioned, which no no one no one's really mentioned, and the before the the horrible own goal he gave up, he you know he had the ball at his feet and almost put on him into a, a chaos for like thirty <laughs> seconds. There were defenders everywhere, and and that's because Hugo is bad with the ball at his feet, and you know he's about thirty four I think at this point. He is just not the goalie going forward for Tottenham. This has to be his last year. They need to have a young goal. You look at the other end. <laughs> look how good Ramsdale is. How young he is. That is, and, and not only that, they have Matt Turner as their backup. They have a real, real plan. Tottenham, like I told you about the stopgap, they have Hugo Lloris, and the backup is um, uh, Fraser Forster. They had Golini. They they brought in from Atalanta. He was a disaster. So obviously that plan didn't work. But <laughs> they one of the priorities this this offseason has to be getting a goalie. And I think the, this you know the Hugo Lloris issue is emblematic of so many issues of Tottenham that I talked about where it's like stopgap. We got to try and get top four. We're not really building to anything. We're just trying to get results and get the top four. Right. And, you know, there's, there's been, you know, it's so much easier not to spend money on goalie because it's just, it's just goalie, right? You can, you can kind of, you know, you can avoid spending money on the keeper and you can pour that money in other places. Right. But you're seeing the issue when, you know, Tottenham were out playing this game. There's no doubt about it. But this game is much closer if Hugo Lloris isn't terrible. Right. And he doesn't make huge error. One huge error and almost a second huge error. And and that is sometimes what these huge games come down to. So if you don't have a good keeper, you are just living, you know, just living precariously, <laughs> I should say. So, you know, I just, you know, he, he's just, he's been a great captain for the club, but he's just, he's not good enough anymore for this level. He's too prone to make mistakes and you just cannot have that and you know i think you know i i really you know i hate to say it but i do he should not be the starting keeper um this time come you know august that's fair that's fair um anything else to say on this game there was uh, a little bit of nastiness after the game um 
Richarlison yep. just decided to chase down Ramsdale. I don't really know why. I think there was like some banter going uh, back Ramsdale's and forth. Ramsdale's a bit annoying. I think he's a bit annoying. I think there was so from from my understanding, and I, I've kind of read a few different things. It sounds like the crowd were giving him stick. Fair enough. He gave yep. a bit of stick back, which I always think is fair enough. Like you know, keep it yep. keep it verbal. If they're allowed to shout at you, why can't he kind of? make some retort i think it's unfair just to expect him to take it um richardson didn't love this um richardson is also while he was on like warming up he was a substitute before he came on he was warming up and you know martinelli uh went to give him a fist bump when he was taking the corner and he like refused because richardson's just a petulant idiot um and like, i just don't understand him uh, and then Ramsdale goes picks up his bottle and a, a guy in the crowd just jumps up onto the advertising hoarding and kicks well kicks at him I don't know if there was actual contact or not which like that goes above and beyond at that point like you know a bit of banter back and forth verbally I think is fair all love all love for that um obviously keeping it keeping it PC but to actually attempt to hurt a player I think like no hatred should go that far like at the end of the day these people are here for your entertainment and to try and hurt them is just is just wild for me um your thoughts on kind of the the aftermath of the game which seemed to get a little heated yeah obviously the one fan um tried to kick Ram- Ramsdale didn't but uh obviously he's been banned and you know that's the right decision um <clears throat> i think a lot of Tottenham fans were leaving early anyway um because it was such a terrible performance and i think you know just to briefly talk about the Tottenham performance um instead of lashing out larice um yeah it just wasn't uh it wasn't a good performance it was a classic crappy first 45 they were a little bit better in the second half but i didn't feel like they really there was one great chance that you had and he, and he he's not good in the final end and he <laughs> didn't have the end product you know i think this is a Conte team, right? In Conte teams, you need great wingbacks. Right. This team has Ryan Sessegnon and Matt Doherty. Just <laughs> terrible. They're not good enough. And Emerson Royal is the backup. He's terrible. Um, what I would like from this team is to play Jed Spence, right? Build to something. He's a 21-year-old right, right wingback. He has plenty of potential. But no, do they do that? No. And, I mean, Pepe Metasar, 20 years old, gets thrown his first Premier League start. Yeah, here's a North London derby. He did nothing. Uh, you know, not that he was any worse than anyone else. Uh, Clement Longley, alone from Barcelona, is just useless. Eric Dyer is okay. Christian Romero, I think, is good, but you know, will will you know kick in for a bad challenge. But the bottom line is, this midfield is just is just not good enough. I mean, Tottenham have a higher wage bill than Arsenal, and this is the squad they put out. It's just not good enough. And you know, Hing Hong Son is just invisible. Yeah. He, he like if if you can think of one thing he did in this game, he was completely invisible. Um, Kulusevsky just it's you know, you can't entirely blame these guys because there's no one to get them the ball. Who is the creative player? You know, Ryan Sessegnon is the most creative player in this midfield. It's just not good enough. Yeah. There's just nobody in the back seven that cre- can create. Matt Doherty is just not good enough. Um, yeah, I mean it's just it's just not good enough. No, that's fair. That's fair. Um, we'll move on to to round out the uh, the top four picture, which saw Newcastle pick up another victory. Uh, a fun game against Fulham ended up one nil. Very late, eighty uh, ninth minute winner. Um, Fulham had the chance to to take the lead around the hour mark or a little bit later when uh, Mitrovic had a penalty, which is one of the most bizarre things that you'll ever see. Uh, gets disallowed for a double kick because he basically. Uh, kicks the ball into his standing foot which uh, obviously diverts it the opposite way and you know seems harsh but again we're talking letter of the rule here or letter of the law here you're not allowed to touch it twice before anyone else from a penalty so I think it was fair that that got disallowed Um, I think balance of play Newcastle were were very good 
um, and, and create some good chances. We're unlucky not to score earlier than they did. Um, but this is another home victory against a good Fulham team um, who have been on a bit of a run. Uh, we'll talk about that run in a bit a bit later when we talk about the Chelsea game that they had in this last week. But uh, your thoughts on, on Fulham-Newcastle? Yeah, this is a good result for Newcastle, right? I think they played better than the 1-0 would indicate. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if, if Mitrovic finishes that shot, the penalty, it, it could have been a loss at home, right? Yeah. Uh, I think Fulham played well. Um you know, I think they, they they were definitely more defensive. They they, you know, had a back line. I just going away to Newcastle with Carlos Vinicius as your striker is just not a, a success. You know, winning success, right? And I think Newcastle were a bit lucky to survive this because they they kind of um, furthered away some chances that they had. Yeah. I think that uh, there was actually a penalty shout in the first half that I thought you know I I thought should have been a penalty. VAR didn't agree. But, um, you know, maybe Newcastle was a little hard done not to get a penalty on that particular uh, situation. But Isaac, you know, comes in and, uh, you know, sc- scores the big the big finish, right? The big the big summer acquisition comes in and, um, you know, does great. So I think if you're a Newcastle fan, you have to be happy about it. Um, you know, the big summer sign comes through late to win you the three points. I think, you know, this is just... You know, when when you look at Newcastle, right, their goal I think this year is to finish top four. <laughs> and you're looking around, and you're trying to think who the heck is going to challenge them from top four, right? Is it going to be Brighton? Is Brighton the biggest challenger for a top four? Right. Um, you know, I've talked about how I don't. I think this Newcastle team has kind of outplayed the talent they have on their squad. But hey, if nobody else is producing, why not you, right? I mean. They're they're right now actually they're you know higher than United on goal difference but they're five points clear of Tottenham they're seven points clear of Fulham they're uh, eight points clear of Brighton so why not why can't this Newcastle team make top four I don't see why not yeah and this was their fifth successive clean sheet uh, we've talked about their defense in, in recent weeks and it just continued like obviously there was the the near the near uh, blemish on their record with the penalty but. Um, yeah, 14 games unbeaten, I think, as well, right now. So they just, they're on a stretch. Yep. They don't look like losing. And I think I think this weekend, uh, with, with Spurs losing, uh, Liverpool losing, Chelsea kind of mixed bag with, with the Fulham game and the Palace game. And I think, with, with all due respect to the, the Brighton, the Brentford, uh, and the Fulhams in the mix, I, I don't <laughs> think they have the longevity or the, the squad to, to make a real run. And I think the, the top four was probably really established this weekend. Uh, and I see... A lot has to change, um, and I don't see it changing for for the top four that are the current top four to change. And I think, uh, yeah, like you say, Newcastle just taking care of business. I don't think Fulham can be too disheartened. You know, we're talking about Newcastle, fourteen games unbeaten, not conceding a lot of goals, so difficult place to go up up to the north of the country. And you know, they probably would have been over the moon with with a draw. They couldn't quite get that, but I don't think there's a lot to to be disheartened by. And you know, they're they're playing good football. Um, I think it's a classic case if you go away to a big team and you kind of you change what's been working for you um just to try it because you kind of um you take a different approach which is, which is fair but i think it kind of then throws off your players rhythm uh they've been playing well they've been playing good attacking football and to kind of try and shift from that i think was a bit too much of an ask uh and that's probably why newcastle yeah they, they like you say the, the the result was fair at the end of the day how it came about is uh like you know the, the late goal is makes it seem like it was maybe lucky but it, it really wasn't on the balance of the game uh much else to say on on newcastle and fulham 
No, I just think it was a quality game, two good teams, and uh, Newcastle did what they had to do. And for Fulham, I think the goal is just to get European football any way you can. Yeah, no, I agree. So we'll uh, we'll shift our attention to to the relegation battle now. Um, uh, what are Everton doing? I don't know. We'll start with Everton versus Southampton. Southampton, who we have spoken about at length on this podcast around, like, don't really see them winning another game. Um, they don't look very good. And yet, well, yet here they are. Your countryman, your countryman coming through. Exactly. Um, it's it, Give him some credit. Give him some credit. They, uh, yeah, they did exactly what you need to do against teams around you. Uh, and especially going to Everton, getting the 2-1 victory. Uh, I said on this podcast a few weeks ago that the only way uh, <laughs> that Southampton is score is, uh, is from a Ward-Prowse free kick. He scored another beautiful free kick in this game. Uh, a foul that probably shouldn't or didn't really need to be given away uh, to lead to the free kick and the result. But I just, yeah, I, I, I don't really understand Everton. Uh I, I think Lampard's days are numbered. There was obviously a, the 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 fans seem to be more on on Lampard's side rather than the uh, the owner's side. They're more anti the board. Um, but I think there needs to be a change because right now Everton are on a slide. You can't be losing to the teams around you, and this has put them well in the relegation mix. Uh, what were your thoughts on this one? So I think Everton were the better team for the majority of the game, but I think it was really a classic. And Owen mentions this in the email, and I'm going to be mentioning him a lot because a lot of our thoughts were the same going forward in the, this weekend. But um, Onana scores, you know, off the corner early, and it's like, oh, we, what we talk about corner kicks, how important they are. Goal, right? Up one nil. This is a massive game. If they win this game, there is kind of some separation between them and the bottom three. Yeah. So right off the break in the second half, what happens? James Ward-Prowse scores off a off a I think it was a header that kind of ricocheted and then he makes a nice in cut past the defender and past the goalie and he scores right yeah. 1-1 this is at least what Southampton need right you know just don't lose that Goodison if you don't lose that Goodison you're at least keeping someone down there with you but what was the cherry on top 78th minute Olin makes mentioned this and I was going to obviously mention it just a daft challenge by Anthony <laughs> Gordon you just you can't do that when you're going up against Southampton. You know how good James Ward Prowse is. Um, you cannot allow a penalty in that area just outside the backs. It's actually his loser of the week. Owen's <laughs> loser of the week. <laughs> it's hard for me to disagree with Anthony Gordon. It was just such a silly challenge. And now this is where we give props to James Ward Prowse. Do you know? And see if you can name who has more. Do you know James Ward Prowse has the second most? set piece goals in Premier League history with 16. Do you know who number one is with 18? My um, guess is going to be David Beckham. Oh, you got it. He had 18. But this is <laughs> this is the company that <laughs> James Ward-Prowse is keeping. And this is just a guy who plays for Southampton, yeah. unknown, but just – and we've talked about it, right? When you're in the relegation battle, sometimes it's the set pieces, the corner kicks, Everton Capital, and then what does Southampton do? Because they have James Ward-Prowse, the beautiful finish, gets them all three points. They are now level on points with Everton and West Ham, and I just think, you know, they're still bottom of the table on goal difference, but – this was a massive result at Goodison. 
yeah no i completely agree and uh you know this 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 echoes back a bit to to one of the first podcasts we did on the premier league when when wolves snatched a late victory at goodison as well and it's like we'll look at some of the other teams around them and, and the wins they're picking up and you know when you're losing to teams around you especially at home um and you're not taking care of business in your own backyard like it's going to be a long season um and and like i say i, I don't necessarily see signs uh, and we'll get onto this with with a few of the teams towards the bottom but everton are one of those teams that definitely seem to the the arrow is pointing down more than it's pointing up and i don't know how to to flip that arrow around especially with with the form that some of the teams around them on and, and the teams that they're, they're losing to um anything else to say on this one before we move on to to west ham that you just mentioned yeah, I just think we need to talk a little bit about the situation at Everton. So <laughs> the board were threatened and did not show up at this game by the fans. Yeah. Uh, so for their own safety, nobody from the board showed up. I think after the game, you saw like it was a sit-in. There was, uh, there was blue dye. Uh, what do you call those? Like the flares. The flares. Yes, I don't know why I drew a blank on that. The blue flares. You know, Everton blue, uh, billowing across the stadium. And this is just a club that's a mess. I, I don't know if you saw it, but I would encourage everyone. There's fans who approach players yeah. like out in the parking lot, and there was one with Yuri Mina, and this Everton fan is like, you know, you know, he's talking to him in the car, and he's like begging Yuri Mina, like, you know, you got to fight for the badge, you got to fight for the badge. <laughs> and he's just like begging him to like, you know, give everything. And it's like you do feel bad because it's like this is kind of a grassroots club, and this is a club who – you know these players. If if they go to the championship, these players will be sold on if they're good, and you know they don't bleed this. This is this is what so many of these Evertonians have, right? You know, you know. They, obviously, they've seen the success of Liverpool, but at the very least, we're in the Premier League. We're a sneaky team where we play, you know, you know, solid, technically savvy football. We have you know this new ground that we're trying to build, and maybe that'll help propel us, right? And this is a club that has wasted so much money. Uh, so many bad transfers. They have Frank Lampard in charge, who I don't think is really proven to be that good of a manager, um, no matter where he's been, whether it be at Chelsea or uh, he was in the championship. Who did he manage in the championship? Derby, yeah. Uh, you know, and he did okay at Derby, but I don't think it merited to jump up to Chelsea, right? right. Um, and I just think they're in a really precarious position. I think we've heard rumors of uh, Sean Deitch coming in, um, <laughs> which that's one way to fix fix it. Uh, you know exactly how they're going to play. They famously, you know, Everton has famously brought in Sam Allardyce before to do the same thing. So it, it, it's very clear that they're just in clear survival mode. And I think the problem for me is, I, I mean, maybe Southampton is worse. They just beat them. Maybe Southampton's a team to be. I think you're better than Bournemouth, but, you know, there's not many teams that I think are worse than Everton, and that's just a precarious spot for a club like Everton to be in. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, this is – when a team's going well, there's there's issues with the club as a whole that kind of go overlooked or they're not kind of the focus. But as soon as you kind of – you get into the situation like Everton and the results aren't even happening anymore, that's when, you know, things just get nasty and it becomes about everything about the club, you know, from upper management all the way down. And uh, it's just a difficult place to be in and – uh, like I say, I, I think I, I understand the frustration from from the Everton fans because they're seeing the same as what we're seeing, and they don't probably see a change in fortune anytime soon with with how things are going and what they look like. So I can completely understand the frustration. Now, 
surrounding players cars and kind of getting a bit intimidating is <laughs> is probably a little bit much at the end of the day like these are all people like we were saying about the the fan in the in the tottenham game it's like there are lines that need to be drawn but um you know these people are paying good money to go and watch this product and investing in the team um i think their their voices should be heard uh but we'll move on to to wolves versus west ham wolves with the uh the big win um and again like i say i think there's teams that are trending up and teams that are trending down in this in this bottom kind of third of the table right now. Uh, Wolves with another big win. I just mentioned earlier their their win over Everton a few weeks ago. So kind of beating the teams around them and and that's what creates some separation and and helps you dig your way out of a relegation battle. Um, one nil. You know it's kind of not not like the best game you'll probably ever see. I I, well, I didn't enjoy it a ton. Um, I was kind of watching it while while doing a few other things, or maybe I wasn't paying keen attention. What are your thoughts of of Wolves versus West Ham? Well, you you were probably uh, distracted by the rancid Liverpool performance, <laughs> but I I was majorly fo- I was very much focused on this this game, and this is just a beautiful Wolves right one nil. What could be better? <laughs> no longer rock bottom as of the relegation up to seventeen points. Uh, um. You know, they get the goal from uh, Pondense early in the first half, uh, second half, and they just hold on, right? Um, I think um, I mean, the XG was kind of surprising to me in this game. Let me pull that up. I, I wrote it in my notes. Um, but essentially, Wolves were, I think, the slightly better team from what I, from my naked eye. I believe XG confirmed that, and I'm just looking quickly. Um, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? It's great podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> I think, um, well, just to jump in, like, I think, uh, yeah, like this is this is the the scrappy wins you need, whether you deserve it or not. Um, I, I I think from my eye as well, they they looked a better team. West Ham, I have concerns around them. I have concerns around David Moyes. Uh, the board seems to be investing in you know investing in him. We we've mentioned managers like Allardyce, like uh, Sean Dyche. That's what the West Ham board are saying. Like at the end of the day, if we re- if we get rid of David Moyes, we're looking like we're looking for a David Moyes, Moyes style manager to come in and replace him. So why are we going to bother replacing him? But sometimes that kind of fresh injection of of new life uh, helps you out, and I think that's what we're seeing at Wolves. They're still kind of rolling on this uh, new manager bounce uh, and and some good success uh, since the the turnover at the top for them. Yeah, one thing I want to. Um give credit to them and they've done this i believe in three consecutive games with three different players is they've cleared balls off the line right that were past the goalies that were going to go in so i think um two weeks i think previously it was nick collins nate collins and then it was kilman and then today it was hugo bueno with just a brilliant save off the line uh he was a little you know ahead of the line but you know he had beaten the goalie and it was going in the back of the net if not for his presence there so if this is something lupategi is is training them (laughs) working well because every different member of the back four is 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 you know saving goals and when you're in a relegation scrap when you don't have the ability to score let's be frank they've scored 12 goals all year that's not very good but if you're going to do that and stay up, you're going to need great defensive efforts. Uh, this is a six-pointer at the Molyneux. They get the goal. And, yeah, <laughs> XG was 0.93 to 0.89. I finally found it. So basically an even game. But what was the difference, right? That Hugo that Hugo Bueno clearance off the line and Wolf scoring, right? They find a way, scrappy, uh, finish, the net, finish the goal. And I think 
when we look back at the end of the year, right? Who's you know who stays up, who stays down? This is probably a critical game for both Wolves and West Ham. A massive six-point game. Wolves takes all three points. They had to do it at Molyneux. And when you look at the other side, West Ham, David Moyes, I think he's built up some capital, but he's using a lot of it right now because you know he may not have much longer in his West Ham tenure if he doesn't get things turned around very quickly. Yeah, and I think uh, you know this is this is talked about in the NFL a lot and, and things like that. You know, one score games, and obviously it's, it's a little different in, in in football. This football with it being goals, but you know, I always think about it back in in, in two thousand and five when Everton finished above Liverpool in the Premier League in fourth. Um, my dad always said that you know the, the big thing with Everton that year was they were coming out on the right side of one nil wins all the time or like odd goal wins, and there's such fine margins uh, with a lot of these teams in the Premier League that these odd goal wins are what make a difference. Because then the next year Everton were probably more in a similar situation like they are now in terms of being more towards the bottom of the table, and it's because they're not getting those one 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 score game results where it's the difference between a draw or a loss or a win, um, and it's it's kind of huge. Uh, especially when the teams against you, like around you, and, and as you say, these are the games that you'll look back on uh, when when the difference between rele- relegation is by a point or two. Uh, it's like these odd goal, scrappy victories, whether it's deserved, yep. whether it's not. That's what's going to keep you up. Um, so, and that's exactly what this one was. It was a deflection that that felt up all done, and he finished. I mean, it wasn't. Uh, it was nothing clinical about it, but it doesn't need to be. No, exactly. If it's the three points that matter. Like no one remembers how the goals are scored; they just remember the result and the points on the board. Um, we'll move on to another one-score game, which I think uh, helps Villa kind of really distance themselves from the drop zone. Now, ten points clear of the drop zone with a two-one uh, win over Leeds. Though uh, Jesse Marsh, your boy, uh, maybe future coach of Team USA said this is the best Leeds performance he's seen uh, since he took charge what a couple of years ago or a year or so ago um, what are your thoughts on on Villa versus Leeds you start you start okay um, I think I think Jesse Marsh has a point I think they did play very well uh, the first half I think was pretty much all Leeds um, I think Villa, they scored, what was it, two, three minutes into the game. And I think that was their only shot pretty much of the first half. Um, and they kind of just got themselves ahead. And then Leeds went on the, the ascendancy, uh, had a goal disallowed. It was offside, so I, I think that's fair. Uh, had some some big chances, a couple of appeals for penalties throughout this game. And I, I, th- I think I agree. I think Leeds did play very well. Um, but I think the difference is, at the end of the day, they can couldn't get the goals and I know that's cliche to say that you know this is it's it's scoring more than your opposition that really matters uh they got the one goal back I think it was about 15 10 15 minutes before the end and looked like it was set up a grandstand finish but Villa just kind of managed to grind it out in that last 10 minutes I think Villa looked better for most of the second half leading up to this point um and yeah I I think Leeds have some positives here I think when when we talk about we've talked about some of these performances like uh, Everton or or West Ham, I think Leeds look like they're a team that can get results more so than some some of the teams around them. They're two points from the drop zone, but they're in 14th, so that's how close it is, right? Like there's there's three three teams between them and the drop zone already. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think Villa probably on the balance of the game just deserved it, um, but Leeds can can take some joy away from it in terms of. Okay, we on a different day this result's different and we get a draw or a win. Your thoughts? Yeah, so I disagree a bit. 
Uh, I thought Leeds deserved all three points, honestly. I thought they were the better team. Um, but it comes to finishing, right? And one team did and one team didn't. And, um, <laughs> you know, it's it's – you hate to be as, you know – simplistic as that and i think the other thing too i mean the xg in this game gave leads a huge i think it was like 2.2 to 1.1 and i think this is an, an example where xg was a little bit misleading because leads obviously down the goal so early in the third minute obviously they're gonna have to take more impetus to attack and then especially when the second goal's in uh i think like around the 65 minute mark in the second half um when that goal went in obviously leads are gonna you know attack and right. you know artificially the xg is gonna pump up right because they're gonna take more risk so I think the XG kind of inflates this game a little bit, but I still think on the whole, Leeds were the better team. But again, it doesn't matter if you don't get the results, right? So I think the problem I have with Josie Marr saying what he said is <laughs> he just likes to hear himself talk. I mean, that's just the bottom line. And you don't always have to say something. You can just say, you know, I thought we played well. Uh, obviously, we didn't get the job done. You know, we would have liked the least to draw. I thought we were the better team on the night, but it just wasn't good enough. If he says that, we have so much less of a problem with it than him saying, you know, this is the best we played. Even if you feel that way, there's no need to say that. Right. It's yeah. And his, his post-match yeah. interviews are, I think I mentioned a, a few weeks ago, like make sure you seek them out because like, I don't know, this guy's giving motivational speeches. I, I, I don't know what it is. Like, like you say, I think it, there's an element of him liking hearing the sound of his own voice, but it's like, it, he just, everything has to be so kind of, extremes one way or the other it's like there's no kind of like you say just yeah like yeah, we played well but we didn't get the result and and we move on and it's just but it has to be this big kind of dramatic speech yes. um, which is he really is ted lasso it's it's, <laughs> it's quite it's quite annoying yeah um yeah and i think yeah i think we're also kind of like looking at there was a lot of teams around each other playing each other and, and not too many draws this week. I don't know, were there any draws yeah. at all? So I think uh, I think this no. this result for Leeds almost looks worse. An American weekend. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I think it almost looks a little bit worse for Leeds just because, you know, a few teams around them did, did pick up three points. So um, obviously a, a loss is never good but i think in a different week if there's a few more draws you're kind of not as concerned about them dipping into to the relegation battle based on the performance but just based on on points and and people kind of pulling them in um i think that yep. that's what's kind of happened here because i think it was pretty much split that like the bottom half of the table were all playing each other and the top half of the table were all playing each other and like we, like we just said there was there was no losses so people were moving up three points left right and center um anything else on villa i know they had a couple of injuries in the first half which probably concerning you know the, these these kind of teams outside of of the big six don't really have the or it's big seven now don't really have the the squad depth um so key injuries can have a great impact but do you think villa are, have, have created enough distance and with the way they're playing to to still be looking over their shoulder or do you think they can start looking upwards uh, with how they're playing and, and maybe get into this uh, UEFA Cup, whichever different conference leagues uh, <laughs> that there are. Which way do you think uh, Villa are going to start looking over the next few weeks? I think Villa <laughs> yeah. uh, just needs to be focused on uh, getting points. Uh, don't don't worry about Europe. Yeah. Just, uh, That's fair. you know, try and accelerate play. Maybe don't depend so much on Emmy Martinez, who was the man of the match. When your goalie's the man of the match, it's probably <laughs> not the best, uh, you know, indication of how good you've been. So, uh, you know, as you mentioned, Ollie Watkins' injury early, it's, that's, you know, Danny Ings is a good replacement. But, you know, if that 
injury to Ollie Watkins is anything significant, that's mm-hmm. that's a huge blow. I think he's been probably the most positive player on Villa this year. So, you know, yeah. they're eleventh. They've they're they're on twenty five. They've kind of given themselves a nice cushion. You know, ten points from the bottom. But you know, mm-hmm. when you lose Ollie Watkins, the goals could the creativity and the goals could dry up quickly. I still think they're better than five or six of these teams at the bottom at the very least. So I think they'll be fine. But you know, don't get too carried away. Okay, a team that I think can look ahead uh, and and think of themselves really in the European battle is Brentford. Uh, they hand Bournemouth yet another goalless defeat, two nil. Um, watching this game, it was kind of not the best game. I had a bet on uh, Brentford over one point five goals, uh, which at one point was maybe not looking great because. Uh, wow, you want to bet? I want to bet. That's also rare. <laughs> But there you go. No, not not to divulge. I, I, I was having a great week, and then on Monday yesterday, uh, I went four eighteen and one. <laughs> I lost. I had maybe eleven games that could have gone either way, and I won one of the eleven. The... I had teams up by fifteen points in basketball that were plus six and a half that lost by seven. <laughs> I had. Uh, this is just me venting. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. uh, just give me twenty seconds. Here. I had. Uh, just just i had one team that they were down two points i had the minus one and a half the other team was trying to intentionally miss the free throw and they wound up making it so it was a one point game so it didn't cover i had a, a goal with 10 seconds left on a hockey game that cost me uh it was just incredible the the amount of crap that just and this is the thing this is and i think you know betting let me tie it back into football right you can do, be doing everything well and you're just gonna have it even if you're having a decent day, you're just going to have a turgent time sometimes, right? And you just have to stay disciplined, stay focused. Just let that be one bump and don't let that bump turn into multiple days. There, there's my little betting corner for the day. But in terms of this Brentford Bournemouth game, I, I don't want to be too mean to Bournemouth. It's a fun club, but they're just not good. Um, they're just really not good. Um, in this game, I don't think they really did much. Um, you know, they, I, I just don't see how Bournemouth, they don't defend well. And they don't score. So I don't know, like, I don't, I don't know how they're going to stay up. Like, you <laughs> want to look at a team like Wolves, right? Wolves cannot score, but they're very solid at the back. So I see a pathway. Yeah. A team like Leeds is not very good. They're leaky at the back, but they can create opportunities. So I see a path forward. I don't know what this Bournemouth, uh, I, just, I just don't. They've given up 41 goals. That's so many goals. <laughs> um that's I think seven more than anyone else in the league, and they only scored. They've only scored eighteen. They have the worst goal difference. I just, and and, and what the crazy thing that every time you watch them, it kind of confirms that. Like I just, um, I think they've won one of the last five. <laughs> I, I don't even remember who that win was against. Um, it looks like it was against Everton three 0 Oh shocker there. <laughs> um, they beat Everton, but yeah, I just uh, this is a club I'm very worried for. Yeah, I think. Uh... There's there's no sign that this is going to get better for them. Um, their only hope is there's enough teams doing just as bad for long enough that you know the odd result can like they're, they're sitting above the relegation battle in, or relegation zone in in 17th right now. So yeah, they got to hope that maybe they can somehow stay <laughs> in that position. Um, but the way they're playing right now, it's not likely. I don't see them getting any results um, very soon uh, and. Yeah, it, it's going to be a, a long kind of second half of the season for them. Brentford, though, like I say, uh, it wasn't the best Brentford performance we've seen in recent weeks. But, you know, they're unbeaten in seven now. Uh, and, 
you know, didn't have to do a lot and they took care of business at home. Uh, and we've kind of been talking about that. Like these are, these are results they would have been expected to win. They did win and uh, you roll on and you keep the unbeaten run going. Um, and I think with the way that some of the quote-unquote bigger teams are playing right now, there's no reason why they can't stay in the mix uh, of the kind of the chase for the top seven and uh, try and find a way into Europe. And yeah, I think uh, I'd much rather be Brentford right now than I would Chelsea or Liverpool with the the way you're seeing your team play on the pitch. Uh, anything else on on Brentford and Bournemouth? No, the only thing I want to say about Brentford is just you know they have this Ivan Tony suspension hanging over them, right. and obviously he scored the penalty in this game. I think he's so important to them. So you know it's good that they're banking these points because without him, I think you know I, I believe in Thomas Frank and they have such a cushion they'll be fine. But um, I think things could get much worse without Ivan Tony, so banking these points is going to be critical for them. Yeah, he didn't play, uh, which game was it recently he didn't play in and they still won, so it was the Liverpool game he didn't play in? Um, well, anybody could. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree, he's definitely, like, obviously their talisman. Um, he came in to replace Watkins when Watkins went to Villa, uh, and he's done more than a capable job, but uh, he obviously bet on himself too literally uh, and now faces the suspension for all these different bets that he's made over the years, but... Um, yeah, and interesting to watch. I think yeah, like that could be the differentiation between them staying in the mix and maybe just looking comfortable mid-table. Uh, we'll move on to which game do we have next? Forest looking looking decent against a, a poor-looking Leicester team. Again, Leicester, a team that I, we've been very harsh on lately and uh, are still not really giving us much reason to, to speak too much more positively. The, the, the Welsh wizard... Brennan Johnson with both the goals here uh, would have liked to see him a bit more in the World Cup in hindsight uh, than how he got on the pitch but you know that's my token Wales reference for today uh, but yeah he uh, well earned victory for Forrest and you know not to, to repeat myself over and over again but a team taking care of business at home against a team around them uh, and I think Forrest have done a good job especially with how the results fell this weekend of kind of giving them some, some distance uh, now five points above the drop uh, which is that's a lot to make up for some of these teams that don't even look like getting a draw in most games. Um, thoughts on, on Forrest and Leicester? Uh, yeah, Steve Cooper has to be a happy man. Um, <laughs> you know, they've spent so much money. It's I, I worry a little bit if, if they don't stay up, what happens. But um, I think you mentioned it, and Olin mentioned it in his email, Brendan Johnson. Uh, just a terrific, you know, performance. Uh by him, which I think is probably slightly annoying to you, not that he does it now. And where was this a little bit a while ago? Um, but I think Olin kind of nailed it, right? This was basically the difference between Brennan Johnson and Harvey Barnes. Right. Uh, Harvey Barnes missed two chances. I think one went off uh, the you know the post. Um, he just you know he he didn't finish his opportunities. I think on the whole, anyway, uh, Forrest was the better team. Uh, I think you know this is a this is what you want to do, right? Get you know, take care of your home matches. This is a winnable game uh, at home, and that's what they did. They won away. They won at home. Uh, two not two nil is a little flattering, but hey, at the end of the day, they took care of the chances. Harvey White and Lester did it, and props on them for the three points. Yeah, and this is like a, a complete one eighty from I think it was October. They played each other. Lester came out four four nil winners at that point, and. Uh, it looked doom and gloom for Forrest at that point, and this is their second win in a row. Two two back to back wins in a relegation battle can quickly change your change your fortune. And uh, 
yeah, I, I, I'm optimistic for Forest the way they're looking. And again, Leicester are another one of these teams where you look at their recent results and, and how they're playing. And I don't know what they can do to shift it. They've definitely got the pieces. Like they're, they're not a bad team, Leicester. Like when you look, I don't know if it, part of it is they're still kind of relying on some of their stars of years gone by um, and they're not kind of at the level that they were, obviously, when, when they won the league. Um, and Brendan Rodgers as well. Like, what do you do with him? Obviously, he's a, a coach that has done unthinkable things with this team, keeping them up in the last few years after Ranieri kind of... I, I don't think they should have ever got rid of Ranieri after them him winning the league, but I think John uh, Rogers has done well, but it's kind of, how long do you keep him around? And again, is it do you need that new manager bump? But then, then who are you bringing in, right? Like, it, it's easy for us to say that the manager needs to go and, you know, the, the fans, that's one of the things they'll chant at the games is whichever manager out right but it's like well if you don't have another guy lined up and it's not going to be a guy that's any better why are you going to make the change um yeah i i I worry for leicester but i i think leicester are probably in a position where there's still a lot many like there's there's enough worse teams than them in the league um i don't think the same like really i think it's right now southampton everton west ham bournemouth are the kind of the teams that really look to be struggling and look like results are going to be hard to come by Leicester are starting to look like that but I think those four other teams are still below them so so while that's still the case uh they've probably got enough kind of free runway to to not have to worry too much anything else on this game uh no I think I think we've uh said enough so we'll move on to to Chelsea um a couple of games in the last week uh I think they kind of Chelsea are a little bit saved that they had two games this week because I think if we were just talking about the Fulham game, uh, it would continue on our our recent kind of doom and gloom of Chelsea. But obviously, getting the win uh, against Palace has given them a little bit of a boost and signs that you know it's not all doom and gloom. But we'll start with the Fulham game. Uh, Jao Felix coming in. Um, uh-huh. He was actually probably their best player before he got sent off, but then gets himself sent off. Uh, William continues to be really good for Fulham in this game. Uh, and I know this is kind of going in a bit of reverse order after talking about the Newcastle game, but I thought he looked really good getting a goal against his former club as well. Um, and, you know, the, the red card really does shift the game. It's one all at that point. Um, and once Felix is, is, is sent off, then it gives Fulham, the home crowd, that boost to kind of drive on and get the victory. Uh, yeah, I think it's... Like I say, I think the the next game, the Palace game, makes us feel or makes me feel a little bit better about Chelsea. But this, they kind of did not look great in this game. Some poor defending as well. Um, and you know, Felix getting sent off. He's he's on loan. There's obviously a price tag that people have talked about. So you know, the pr- price per game is dra- drastically going up now that he'll have to sus- serve a suspension. Uh, your thoughts on on Chelsea Fulham before we move on to Chelsea Palace. <laughs> Yeah, so I think we've spent a lot of time on Chelsea, right? Yeah. Uh, just because I think they're such a fascinating club. Uh, I think the best thing I saw was this week when you sent me the the projected formation for Chelsea. It was <laughs> you know, five or six defenders and then just all left wings, right? Uh, just just shoved up into the top left corner. Of the pitch. And I just that's kind of what this club is. I think it's it's so fascinating, and, and we're gonna get into Olin. Uh, you know, sent us a great question on Chelsea and Liverpool that we'll get to in a bit. And I think this, the, the squad is so big, right? And it's, there, there's a lot of injuries, and it's just a club in flux, right? And there's a lot going on. 
you know, uh, we're t- they just brought in Mudrik this week. Uh, they stole him from Arsenal at the <laughs> last minute. We stole, we saw them steal Cucurella from Man City at the last second. I think this is just what Chelsea's going to do. Yeah. They're just, it's almost like a very Americanized way of just like, you know, these other clubs are trying to like negotiate and battling over, you know, millions of dollars. And Chelsea are just like, all right, you want that? We're swooping in. If we want him, we're going to take him. And what we're also doing is we're stopping a Ryle from getting him who spent so much time and effort trying to close a deal. And we're just going to use our, our assets and our capital to just come in and swoop up. I think they made this like an eight-year deal. Um, you know, Mutrik, I, I don't really know too much about, obviously, from Donetsk. Um, I just it, – it's a lot of money. Uh, yeah. um, he seems like he's – you know, the analytics don't love him. I think he's a young player, so he has a lot to, to learn. So this is nowhere near a finished product, and I think it's a big risk for Chelsea. And, you know, I think – it's just add another lock to the fire of this club just keeps doing is always in motion. Yeah. Well, and the thing I think is crazy is that like, yes. Okay. It stopped Arsenal getting them and stopped their arrival getting them. But like, I don't know that it helps your team. Like you've, like you mentioned, I don't think it does this year. Right. And I think it's just, they're just, they're buying pieces and they're investing in not the direction of actually creating a team and like obviously we spoke a lot about Arsenal and what they've done over the recent years to to build the team to get them to where they are now and it's like Chelsea it's just like oh someone else wants to buy him no let's stop them let's buy him and it's like it's just it seems to be without direction of this is actually with this purpose for him to play here and take care of this need and play this piece in the puzzle it's more oh no we're just going to stop you completing your puzzle rather than actually us completing ours. And I don't know that that necessarily helps them um, in terms of actually on the field and, and how they end up playing. And, you know, even the the Palace game, I said it kind of shifted our perception or how our perception may have been. But I think there was there's a different day that Palace get a result here. Um, I don't think they, they play badly. Kepa kind of made a few good saves uh, and Chelsea did not look great in my opinion uh even though they get the victory at home and you know it's a result you expect them to get at home to crystal palace chelsea should be coming away with three points but it wasn't oh blow me out the water they've they've won four five nil and they've got this stunning performance it was a gritty one nil win uh that like i say in a on a different day um palace did they did a good job of not making this easy for chelsea and, and tried hard and if, if they find a breakthrough at some point I think it really is doom and gloom for Chelsea as, as we talk about them because I think they they're, they're not finding the results. Uh, uh, yes, they got this one, so can't say too much. But I, seeing on the pitch and like I say, adding another left winger because that seems to be the only position that they want to buy players that they play in, it just doesn't make sense to me. And I, if I was a fan of Chelsea, I'd just be questioning like, what's the point? Um, you know, it, it probably won't have an impact because obviously we've spoken about before, they have very deep pockets. So, you know, financially, does it really matter when, when you've almost got unlimited money? But there's got to be a point where you need to see stuff happen on the pitch and see a return on this investment. And I don't see it coming anytime soon. Uh, any thoughts on, on the Palace game? Uh, I thought the, fit, the the corner kick, the intricate little playoff with the, the other defender and the goal were beautiful, right? How, how many times do you talk about, you know, the importance of corner kicks? Bails Chelsea out of this game uh, and helps them get all three points, a badly needed three points at home against Palace. You know, I, and, and I think the 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 fun thing about this, um, 
this game, this game for Chelsea is they rotated quite a bit. Um, you know, they this isn't their A team. You know, uh, you know Hall um, playing. You know, Connor Gallagher. I guess has been playing a lot, but Chuamani, Harvards. Uh, this isn't like the A squad, right? I thought Kepa made a few huge saves late um, that kept them alive. Thiago Silva, I think I espoused how great he was last week. Just another uh, fantastic performance this week. Yeah. Um, that I mean, he's just really doing it all for him. Havertz, you know, scored the header on off the um, you know intricate little play that they had on the the corner kick, but um, you know he missed another chance late on. He's not. <laughs> exactly what you want but i do like graham potter just kind of like saying i'm doing this way this way i'm playing lewis hall i don't care you know he's going to be my my starter for this game and if it backfires it backfires and i think just in general i'm more optimistic on chelsea than you are i know it's a club that's kind of all over the place (laughs) but i think they've brought in a lot of talent i trust graham potter i think if chelsea just stick with him they're going to reap the rewards in the long term. But I do think this is, you know, I think we, I to kind of talk about the beginning of the pod where we talked about Arsenal for so long and uh, and how they stuck with Arteta through the rebuild. And I really hope, well, I guess I don't hope, but, you know, for Chelsea's purposes, I hope that they stick with Graham Potter because I think he is the right man for the job. And I think they just have to give him job time. He's out there, obviously, giving plenty of money to bring in players. And I think. They just have to trust him to develop the system and create a real squad out of all a real team out of the squad of players that he has. No, I agree. Um, and and when I'm doom and gloom on Chelsea, it's like you know it means they're probably going to finish seventh, right? Like I, I, I'm not like saying they're going to be in a relegation battle anytime soon, but you know a team that is investing so much money, um, I would like to see them being in Arsenal's position, in Man City's position, in Man United's position more than, you know, in Brentford and Brighton are the teams around them right now. Um, and Sure, you'd like that, but Rome isn't built in a day. True. You have to give it time. Even as club with Chelsea, even with the resources, maybe they can expedite it, but, you know, don't do what Tottenham has done for so often. <laughs> don't do what Man United did with Jose Mourinho and... In Ali, yeah. Well, I, I feel like you there's elements that they are doing stop that. Don't I feel like there's elements they are doing that by you know, like they're they're tra- They don't seem to have like a a vision in mind with some of these transfers, and they could prove me wrong. That's fair. That's um, fair. and I think that's that's the concerning thing. And you know, they'll probably prove me wrong because, like I say, they can they can buy a whole new squad if they want to with the money they have. So you know, why not add some of these pieces? But we'll move on to the final game. Save the best till last. The mighty Brighton keep on rolling playing very, very good football against a woeful Liverpool team. Uh, like I said, the the offset, I don't want to make this about Liverpool. This is really against about Brighton. Um, just a, a great performance by Brighton, and they look really good, really positive. Um, put Liverpool under pressure from the get-go. The, the pressure that they were putting Liverpool under was what created the first couple of goals. Um, then Danny Welbeck decides to go full Gaza and uh, score a beautiful goal uh, in the second half to make it 3-0 and round off a great performance. And uh, just so much energy in this Brighton team. And I think there's concerns with where some of these players may be at the end of January. Uh, talks of transfers here and there. Trossard is looking like he may not be around for much longer in, in the Brighton squad. But uh, if, they, if they keep these pieces together, um, they just look like a really good team and a fun team to watch very positive um but also kind of taking care of business in defense as well uh they 
didn't allow Liverpool. I think Liverpool have a lack of midfield right now, but they did not allow Liverpool anything in midfield pretty much the whole of this game. And then that just keeps Liverpool's attacking threat kind of at bay because they're so disconnected from the rest of the game. And then, you know, highlighting some of Liverpool's issues in defence uh, by by putting the pressure on, turning over the ball and, and taking capitalising on that. And, you know, we've talked about a few teams maybe not having the clinical finishing, but there was definitely some clinical finish and some beauty goal, beautiful goals by Marsh in this. And then, like I say, the, the Welbeck goal was very well taken. Um, yeah, I, I don't even feel like they needed to do much in defense in this game. Liverpool didn't offer much. And again, that's a testament to Brighton and how well they played, uh, creating a bit of a fortress on the South Coast. Teams aren't going to want to go and play there. Uh, they'll they'll definitely take the game to you. Uh, I mentioned in the Fulham-Newcastle game that Fulham kind of shifted their style because because of the opposition and, and where they were playing. But I, I haven't seen that much from Brighton in, in recent weeks, regardless of who they're playing. They they play the same football. They're super positive and, uh, yeah, another three points. And I've, I've said enough thoughts on, on Liverpool. I don't think I need to belabor any of those points. Uh, I think it's going to be a bit of time before anything really, really shifts. Um, Klopp has said he's not going anywhere unless he's forced to go anywhere, which I, I think is good, as we've mentioned, uh, kind of, Changing a manager for the sake of changing it is is kind of a bit of a panic move, but uh, he also has struggled in the past. I think this you've said it a few times, Joe, around his kind of seventh year issues that he's had in every club that he's managed. It kind of he sees success and then the 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 tires seem to wear thin and the the, the car slows down a bit. Uh, what are your thoughts on on Brighton and Liverpool? Yeah, just quickly in Liverpool. Uh, yeah, I think we're seeing the toll of the aggressive. Um, style that they've played for the last six, seven years, right? I mean, last year I think they played more games than any team in Europe. They they just they play a lot and they play a high tempo pressing style, and that's going to wear guys out quicker. And this is the team that, especially in the midfield, I don't really have any easy answers. <laughs> I think it's going to take time and a lot of investment to fix this team. I just think uh, it happened quicker than I anticipated. I, I thought they would still be challenging for their title and definitely top four this year, but it's hap- sometimes it happens quick, and I think there's a lot of interesting decisions. I think, you know, they don't have Virgil van Dijk of three years ago, right, to save their ass right. constantly. Um, they they just they get ripped to shreds. The midfield is so easy to pass. I mean, I don't – I mean, you can talk about Thiago, but I just – I just, I just he's, he's just not – he doesn't. He can't do anything in the system, right? No. He needs time. He needs the <laughs> the ability to, you know, be intricate. And there's just no time for that with the current Liverpool and in Brighton. I think properly smashed him. I think I texted you at halftime. How is Brighton not scored yet? <laughs> and I think you know, Owen mentions it, and I got to do the same thing. Sally Marsh, just kudos. Uh, both goals that he scored were fantastic, especially the second one. You know. You know, crosses by left-footed, beats the goalie to the right, slight. You know, kind of slices it in there. It was just, it was just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just the goals, but as Owen points out, he was kind of just the fulcrum of the entire team. And he's just, uh, he's just such a class player. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of teams that are looking at him and saying, oh, you know, what could be happening here? Um, Owen, as he does, focuses on the young Irishman, uh, <laughs> Evan, <coughs> Evan Ferguson. Um, you know, who kind of started both goals and the I, I didn't notice this as much as Olin, but I'm gonna give Olin the credit here. Uh, you know, after I slagged off uh, D- uh, Doherty earlier, <laughs> he needs some Irish kudos here. So, um, yeah, Brighton's a fun team. I think this is the team Brighton. If I if I'm looking at between them, Fulham, uh, Brentford, 
if I'm looking at any team that's not in the top four, this is the team that I think could actually make a run because I just I think they're so good. I, I don't they have a style. I think they play great. I'm they're obviously starting at a deficit. You know, they're eight points behind United and Newcastle. That's a lot to make up, but um, I think this is a team that's destined for Europe. I think they're going to finish ahead of Fulham. I think at the worst they're going to finish sixth or seventh in the league, and that's just a huge success for Brighton. You know, yeah. Brandon Hoval being growing up was a team you laughed at. It's like, oh, <laughs> that's the team <laughs> that's always in the championship. And you know, look at them now, right? They're they're playing brilliant football. They kind of have a system. It, they're so fun to watch. I mean, if, if there's any team that you could watch, that you know, I, I, I'd be hard pressed not to pick Brighton. And um, just kudos to them, right? They lost Graham Potter midseason. They praised him from Dezarba, and I, I could almost say that their level of plays increased. So, just, just you know, I'm quite smitten with what Brain has done. <laughs> no, for sure. And yeah, I think uh, I think um, I, I I think they have just exceeded expectation, but like with justification, like the way they play, it's not right. it's not luck at this point. It's no, this is a good squad that is playing well together. Um, but yeah, that wraps up all the games. Take a quick look into what we have coming up before we get into Olin's question because uh, it, it kind of pertains to one of the games. So uh, Wednesday we have Palace versus United. Uh, Thursday, your boys in action away at Man City. Uh, and then Saturday we kick off the uh, the early morning game, Liverpool-Chelsea. Uh, big game for two teams in kind of flux right now and a uh, big statement if, if either of them can get the win. Uh, Bournemouth and Forest, obviously a relegation battle. Leicester-Brighton, uh, I think Brighton... We'll fancy that one a lot, uh, heading up to Leicester. Southampton Villa, another one, uh, which I think Villa probably are favourites, even though they're the away team there. West Ham Everton is obviously huge at the bottom. And then Palace have another game uh, uh, home to Newcastle, so a couple of games in quick succession for them. And then Sunday, we've got Leeds and Brentford. Uh, Man City play again against Wolves, Arsenal, Man United. And then Monday, Fulham uh, host your Tottenham again. Some big fixtures coming up, really. Uh, I think the the most notable ones, obviously, Man City, Tottenham. Uh, both teams will be looking to to bounce back by uh. to, from a from a derby defeat. Uh, Liverpool, Chelsea, as I mentioned, is going through uh, some implications on kind of where these teams are going, and you know it could be another sucker punch if if, if either team loses that. Um, then we got the relegation games, and then also also Arsenal, Man United. I think is huge if Man United can continue their good form. Um, yeah, any any key highlights of uh, games that you're kind of focusing on this weekend? Yeah, so I like quite a few of the matchups, but I think if you're looking for entertaining football, Leicester City, Brighton, and uh, Brentford Leeds are both playing. I think those are going to be high octane games. Not a lot of defense is going to be played. It'll be interesting to see what happens between those two. And I think on the lower side of the <laughs> the the spectrum, Bournemouth at home to Forest. Obviously, two teams that were promoted last year from the championship. This is a game, Bournemouth, they need something. They, even if it's just a point, they need to get something out of this. For Forrest, this is another opportunity. We talked about how they kinda, they're kind of they on 20 points. They've kind of created a cushion. This is a huge game for them. If they can go away to Bournemouth, this is probably the easiest away fixtures they're going to have. Yeah. Um, can they get the three points, right? And then, of course, I think the other game we're looking at here is West Ham-Everton. Yeah. Two teams, two you know big clubs, right? These are... You know, nine of the ten biggest clubs in the football league playing each other in a critical game at the Olympic Stadium. Can West like Everton all the all the you know turbulence they dealt with this week? Obviously, the awful loss to Southampton. If they go to West Ham, I I would I'm, I would think that might be Frank Lampard's it. Yeah. 
Um, who knows what's going to happen to the board? This is a game where Everton needs something out of this. Um, these are, I think, 18th and 19th of the league. So, in one sense, at least one of them is getting a point. But I don't think this is going to be the greatest game to watch. But I think this is going to be critical to see which one of these teams is <laughs> is really not looking good. Yeah, and it's obviously the, uh, David Moyes against his former team, uh, which is always fun as well. Uh, do you want to go on to, to winners and losers, or do you want to do uh, Olin's question around the, the Liverpool-Chelsea game first? Yeah, let's, let's just say Olin's question. Um, so basically what he's asking um, is, with, obviously with Chelsea and Liverpool playing this week, um, in both clubs, unlikely to qualify for Champions League. Unless they win the competition, which, funny enough, they're both still in. Uh, can I can I just tell you, the four teams in the, you know, they all made it to the round of 16. I mean, Tottenham, Chelsea, and Liverpool all in the round of 16. And that's really some, they're really playing some horrendous stuff. So it'll be interesting. I think they all have winnable matchups. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But I digress. Um, so basically what he's saying is, uh, are they better off qualifying for the other two European competitions, which are the Europa League, which usually primarily goes to, I think, fifth place, or whoever wins the FA Cup or the League Cup. And if if a team that's already in the top four wins the FA Cup or the League Cup, it slides down to sixth or seventh. And, um, you know, should they be focusing on that competition or the Conference League? Or would they be better off just not being in, in Europe at all so next year they have a clean break and they can just focus on the league and, you know, getting top four next year. Um, so I think this is a question that clubs grapple with all the time. I think I'm uniquely qualified because Tottenham <laughs> are always in the battle between Champions League, Europa League, and Conference League. They've played in all three competitions. Um, so I think it's different answers for both clubs. I think for Chelsea, any European football is good because we see how big their squad is. These guys, you know, obviously you want to get to the ground, you want to train, but I think these guys need to play. And so you have so many players. I think they have so much to figure out. I think it would be great for Chelsea if they can make it to the Europa League. Obviously, that's a way to make the Champions League. Um, but even if it's the Conference League, they're playing smaller sides. I think. I just think Chelsea is a club that has, you know, other than Man City, I think they're probably, in terms of just talent, not necessarily ability, but just, just talent. They have so much depth. So, you know, I think that's a competition that, even though it's a lower quality competition, I think that's a competition where they could learn a lot about their team. Liverpool, on the other hand, I think you can speak more to this. I think their squad is very thin, so I don't really want them playing any more <laughs> football. Um, you know, I don't want Salah playing in Europa League or Conference League. I want him resting. So, and I think you know we didn't talk about it, but I think Klopp needs to kind of figure out a different way to play because yeah. he just doesn't have the squad to play as aggressively as he can. So I think for Liverpool, I think you just kind of want that extra time on the training ground. You have a smaller squad. I think. Really, for Liverpool, they want to be focused on trying to get back into the top four as quickly as possible. Yeah, I think uh, I completely agree. I think you mentioned it earlier with how many games Liverpool have played last year, but it's not just last year. You look at kind of runs they've made probably the last five years uh, in the Champions League, in the league. Like They've been playing at a top level um, for nearly as many games as you can play uh, every year. And I think a year when... You don't have so many games is a good thing, and I don't think it's necessarily just you know the playing time that that doesn't really matter. It's about the travel, and especially in some of these games in Europe, it's like, and I know from from North American terms, it probably seems 
<laughs> pretty pretty minuscule but you know if you're traveling halfway across europe or like to the far ends of europe sometimes for some of these games uh on like a <laughs> midweek it obviously throws off your training schedule there's you know time zones there's all these things and it just adds to the the tiredness and that is liverpool's biggest problem right now a lot of their stars just look tired um so to, to add that for no real gain and i know that's probably very elitist to say because there's some some teams that would die for a you know Europa Conference stretch and run to the final and a trophy but I think in the grand schemes of Liverpool Football Club they're not going to remember that win in in some of their historic trophy wins um, and if, if it comes at the expense of you know more energy from the team um, and, and results in the Premier League next season I would probably avoid it um, I don't think the kind of the juice is worth the squeeze for them from that perspective especially at the time they're in right like with like you say they are in flux i think there needs to be a lot of work one with actually strengthening the squad but then also the style of play because like you say they're they're stars that made their press and their high press and their kind of attacking style are not playing at that level right now so they need they need to shift that and i don't think now's the time um, and I completely agree on on everything you said about Chelsea. I think it's the perfect opportunity to play their ten different left wingers in rotation uh, and get them games and try and figure out what is your true starting eleven and what are your kind of fringe players and and what does that look like and give Graham Potter an extra kind of lab to work in to to do some experimenting and and figuring out what things look like. Mm-hmm. So. That uh, that's that wraps up uh, the the question. Uh, I think Olin gave some good feedback that you've sprinkled in throughout. Uh, how is it that Olin got in touch with us? Yeah, we should mention that more often. Yeah. Though. Uh, maybe I'll maybe uh, I'll just do a recording of, and just sprinkle it in. Like, <laughs> yeah, maybe just do like a drop. Yeah, yeah it's the wrong football, po- <laughs> the wrong foot podcast <laughs> at gmail dot com. The wrong foot podcast at gmail dot com. Okay, so reach out if you've got any thoughts. If you have any questions for us, uh, obviously subscribe to this podcast wherever you're getting it. Follow us on Twitter at wrongfootpod uh, and check out our website thewrongfootpodcast.com. dot com. But we'll wrap up today with winners and losers. Oh, you know what? You you mentioned me in one of the, and I just completely ignored it. I mentioned you. <sighs> Like the best eleven for oh, Tottenham yeah. and Arsenal. And, it was like... and honestly, I looked at it, and it was one of those things where I looked at it, and I had so much to say. <laughs> so I was trying to figure out what to say, and then I, something else came up, and I forgot about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I looked at that squad, and I didn't know what the hell he was talking about. <laughs> there, there was a lot. There was a lot more Tottenham in that squad than there should have been. I'll tell you that much. AKA, it was more than just Harry Kane. Um, but anyway, we're, we I, digress. There uh, was like seven Tottenham players in that squad. It so, seven. It was so weird. There should have been maybe two or three. It was so weird. Seven. It was so weird. Oh my goodness. Anyway, you can check that it out. Must on Twitter. be real. You can check that out on Twitter. And there's like, uh, it's a funny, funny. I, I can't even think of besides Harry Kane. I mean. Yeah. Maybe Kulisevsky. I don't even know. I mean, Son is playing like crap. Doherty, no. Saar. I mean, Hoiberg is good, but I have Thomas Partey. What the hell do I need him for? I mean, I guess Christian Romero should be in the squad. Um, so I guess maybe two or three, but yeah. yeah. I mean, just just bonkers to put seven Tottenham players in a, in a uh, combined 11. was just nuts. Yeah. Uh, so your winner this week, do you have a winner in, across the world? Yes, 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 yes. Um, I have a winner, and so does Olin. So Olin's winner is Jimmy Greaves, speaking of Tottenham. Uh, Harry Kane, still one goal shy of his all-time record. So uh, anytime, anytime Harry Kane doesn't pass Jimmy Greaves, it keeps his name in the atmosphere a little bit longer. Um, My winner for the week, going a little bit off the board here, Napoli. Uh, They 
slaughter on <laughs> Friday night Juventus five to one, a thoroughly convincing win. Uh, on home, Demi, De, uh, Di Maria scored late in the first half to keep it two one, but then Napoli just came out in the second half and just continued to do what they were doing in the first half, and there was no luck box Juventus cover here. <laughs> I mean, they, they they were getting blitzed. Juventus had given up seven goals all year. They gave up five in this one game. And I think obviously more important it what it does for Napoli's um, Scudetto chances. Napoli is, you know, obviously the origins with Maradona. They're a club that has not won Serie A in my lifetime. <laughs> they have not won, I think, what, since like 89-90 or 91-92. Um, it's been over 30 years since they last won. It's a famous club. It's, you know, club in the south of Italy and... You know, this should be their year. They have the best team. Their window is short, but, I mean, they have a nine-point gap over AC Milan. We obviously talked a lot about Arsenal and their title chances, but Napoli is a team that's had, you know, is a prominent Italian side, has had even less success than than even Arsenal, right? <laughs> they haven't won in thirty year, over 30 years, so this is a massive opportunity for them. They are the best team in Italy, and if they don't finish this off, that'll be a massive blow. Yeah. Yeah, they, uh, they're definitely looking very, very good. Um, my winner of the week is uh, Sebastian Haller. Uh, plays for Dortmund. He was signed as uh, Erling Haaland's replacement. And I think it, it was either during the medical or at some point, like in his kind of early time at Dortmund, uh, they discovered that he actually had testicular cancer, um, which is obviously never great news. And that's not why he's my winner here. He went through treatment uh, and he's back on the pitch in his second game back. Uh, I think it was a friendly or a cup game, scored a hat trick. Um, so I think that's just a, a great good news story coming out of Germany. Uh, the German league is back this weekend, which is always fun. They've uh, they had their winter break to, re- to kind of tack on to the end of the World Cup. So they haven't had any league games. But yeah, Sebastian Haller, great story, uh, great news and, and good to see him back on the pitch. Uh, who is your loser this week? Uh, so Olin went with Anthony Gordon, which I agree <laughs> with. We talked about that earlier. I am going with uh, El Supercopa de España. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Where to begin? Uh, great game, right? El Clasico. Real Madrid versus Barcelona for a trophy on the line. This should be great. Oh, just rancid. First of all, they play the game in Riyadh, you know, in Saudi Arabia. Uh, which just kind of kills all the emotion, right? <laughs> I mean, there, were, there was a full crowd. There were, you know, Saudi Arabians. You know, this is two of the biggest clubs in the world of Glasgow. Yeah, of course they'll come by. But there was no passion. They were just they were just there to see a friendly game, right? And when you have 80,000 people doing that, it's, it doesn't create the best environment. But Real Madrid were horrific in this game. Uh, Barcelona dominated. Pedri, especially Gavi, uh, was so just so clinical. Those two guys going forward. I mean, Barcelona is a club that, Talk about just making so many mistakes. They made so many horrific mistakes trying to compete. But even still, they have these these great players in Gavi and Pedri that might just bail them out of all their problems. And, you know, Lewandowski obviously scores as well. But just a, just a thrashing. Benzema scored a very late goal to to get a, uh, Real on the board. But, I mean, this was just a thrashing. This go, this game was just – it was really poor, though. It was, just, it was a one-sided, lacked emotion, lacked tension, El Clasico – and this is disappointing because every El Clasico, whether there are two or three or four a year, should be treasured. And, and this one just felt like an afterthought. 
Yeah, I have some thoughts on this, and this was definitely a contender for my loser of the week as well, because, you know, the, the argument is with some of these decisions to play games abroad is, you know, it's to grow the game. Um, we've, we're off the back of a World Cup, which, you know, was a similar kind of storyline or narrative painted about it. And, you know, in my opinion, when we saw empty seats throughout pretty much the whole tournament, how much of the game was it really growing? Um what are your thoughts on this? Because I know this happens in the NFL. You know, there's now these London games, Germany games, uh, games in Mexico as well. Like, what are your thoughts about kind of taking away, like to me, it's taking away from the fans of that team, you know, especially with this game, passionate fans uh, in Spain, Madrid and Barcelona. And, you know, you're, you're, you're taking it away effectively to say that you're trying to grow the game, but realistically for money. What is your kind of thought on that as a concept? Yeah, I mean, leagues got to make money, right? That's really all it is, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I mean, like, it's disappointing. But, like, at the same time, I think, like, if the, there's so many fans of so many different clubs in America. If if they put Mar- Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Miami, like, they've played, uh, during like, a friendly during the summer. And it was huge, you know? So I'm thinking, if imagine if they put, like, the Super Cup in Miami, how awesome that would be. So I do see it from that sense. It's just... Um, you know, and keep in mind the semifinals and the finals are right. both in Saudi Arabia. So it's, I don't know, it's it's a difficult it's a difficult question to ponder. Um, you know, I think the bottom line is they want the money and that's what they're going for. You know, we, we talk about how like the Premier League and others they always have like these thoughts of having like a 39th game. And I think there was actually I thought I don't know if it was confirmed, but like Barcelona was going to play a La Liga game in Miami that fell through. Um, for I don't know, I think I don't know. if CONCACAF blocked it or someone blocked it and it fell through and I just you know I, I understand wanting to export the game to different countries it's it's a cup it's kind of like a secondary cup in Spain so if you're going to move any competition I guess this one would be the one to move it's you know I, I think it's a hard issue I just think putting in Riyadh is just it just kind of sucks all the yeah. passion out of it no, for sure. my uh, my loser actually involves your winner of Napoli uh, it's my loser this week is Roma and Napoli I don't know if you saw this but uh, last weekend uh, the fans were of Roma and Napoli were both playing in different parts of the country but they uh, conveniently arrived at a service station on the highway at the same time and a massive fight broke out to the point they had to close the highway uh, for quite a bit of time. And now it's been announced that they will uh, be banned from traveling to away games uh, for two months, I think the ban is. Um, you know, We've talked about some of the issues in, in some of these leagues with their fan behavior, racism and things like this. And this is just kind of another black mark on the sport of uh, around kind of just just fans not behaving themselves. You know, They weren't even playing each other. They're not even in the same cities. They just happen to be uh in a service station at the same time and it's just wild to me that this is still happening in in 2023 that we're seeing this kind of trouble but yeah my losers roma napoli and and Serie A as a whole uh anything else joe before we wrap things up today no i think we're good i think yeah, a little lengthy but uh we touched on everything i think we needed to be discussed and uh you know there's a lot to talk about well thank you as always and we'll be back next week to like i say discuss some of these fun fixtures we have coming up the uh the premier league never stops and it keeps delivering with some good games so i look forward to chatting with you next week later